0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 29. Listen now for God's word. Jesus said, For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another, two, to another one, one, to each according to his ability." Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me the five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave, for you have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. "'See, I've made two more talents.' His master said to him, "'Well done, good and trustworthy slave. "'You have been trustworthy in a few things. "'I will put you in charge of many things. "'Enter into the joy of your master.' Then the one who had received one talent also came forward saying, "'Master, I knew that you were a harsh man "'reaping where you did not sow "'and gathering where you did not scatter seed. "'So I was afraid, "'and I went and hid your talent in the ground.' but you have what is yours. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and on my return, I would have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the 10 talents. For all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. From those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think. <laughs> My mother always said, Do you have a bunch of those sayings? If you don't use the gifts you've been given, they will be taken away. She also said, To whom much is given, much will be expected. She wasn't just talking about financial resources, she meant talents with which I was born, just like any other person. A reflective question from an online discussion guide about this passage says this, 100 years from now, what significant legacy will you have left to the world that speaks about your faith? Will it be represented by the organizations you support financially? in what you've given to others, in what you've done for others, and how future generations may model your actions and words. I liked the way those authors asked the questions because just like my mother, the questions are not necessarily based upon the amount of money you have or you don't have. It's the whole package, isn't it? Time, energy, talents, and yes, financial resources. And since we're focusing on generosity this month, it's about our generosity of spirit. One benefit from having been raised as a child in a church which which required scripture memorization is that little phrases were etched in my mind early on, like the one my mother reiterated. But that one is from another passage. This morning's gospel says something slightly different. For for to those who have, more will be given, and they will have abundance. Now, this text could, could and might be the foundational verse for the prosperity gospel. That's the Christian religious doctrine that says, and in my view, erroneously says, that financial blessing is the will of God for Christians, and that faith, positive speech, and donations to Christian ministries will increase one's material wealth. Uh, AKA Joel Olstein, Oral Roberts, and Kenneth Hagin. However, Kathleen Falsani in her Washington Post article, The Worst Ideas of the Decade, The Prosperity gospel, Gospel, says this. The gospel of prosperity turns Christianity into a vapid bless me club with a doctrine that amounts to little more than spiritual magical thinking. If you pray the right way, God will make you rich." End quote. But if you're not rich, then what? Are the poor cursed by God because of their unfaithfulness? And if God were so concerned about 401ks and Mercedes Benzes, why would God's son have been born into poverty? Jesus was born poor and he died poor. During his earthly tenure, he spoke time and time again about the importance of spiritual wealth and health. When he talked about material wealth, which he did quite often, it was usually part of a cautionary tale about how wealth can, and I say can, get in the way of discipleship if we're not careful. Our gospel text seems like it might be an ad for Wall Street, right? A wealthy man goes on a long trip and divides his wealth among three servants. To the first, he gives five talents. Now, researchers say one who possessed five talents, which is a measurement used in New Testament times, of gold or silver was a multimillionaire by today's standards. Some calculate the talent in the parables to be equivalent to 20 years of wages for the common worker. Other scholars estimate more conservatively, valuing the New Testament talent somewhere between $1,000 to $30,000 today. In any event, it was a huge sum of money. The person invests it and doubles it. The second servant is given two talents. Not as much, but still a huge sum to him. He invests it and doubles his amount, and he's rewarded. The third servant received one talent. He doesn't spend it. He doesn't invest it either. Rather, he sees the value of it and wants to save it, perhaps hides it under a mattress of sorts, or buries it in the backyard to return it to the man upon his return. Some would call him wise, especially in a bear market. But when the wealthy man returns, he deals with this poor servant as harshly as anyone in the New Testament. Why? We don't know how long these investors had before the man came back looking for results, and we know that if they expected to make a higher rate of return or to cut down on the amount of time, the risk would increase multifold. Maybe the first guy traded options in the market on a hot stock, A high-risk move with a potential huge payout. But he also would have risked losing it all. Same thing with the second man. But the man who did nothing, who held on to the money out of fear over repercussions of losing it and over what would happen to him, was condemned. It's scary. He was not a bad man. He was just playing it safe. This story, this parable, which Jesus told, is not about investing money, about making or even having money. It's not about rewarding the rich and urging others to try and be rich. Money is neither good nor bad in this text. The story is about taking risks, about being all in with everything we've got, even our very lives. It's about being generous of spirit in the most radical way. Jesus was living in an extremely risky time. He was nearing the end of his life and he was, had angered many people by the risky claims and ideas that he had taught. He called people out of their comfort zones on a regular basis to leave places of security and to follow him, to be all in. He did the same. He never asked anyone to follow him to places where he had not gone himself. And Jesus said these things to those who were listening, hoping they would be all in after he left them, when he was no longer there to lead them. Here's the twist. The greatest risk of all, as one colleague puts it, is not taking risks at all. Think about it. If those people who sit on the sidelines of their lives, who dare not to be inconvenienced, who dare not to live outside of the neatly colored lines, who dare not to follow their passion and pursue with their hearts what their hearts are calling them to do, or who dare not to risk their love out of fear of rejection, or not risk burying the hatchet and forgiving a loved one out of the fear of change, they are, in fact, risking everything. Just like the man who was afraid and therefore didn't do anything with the gifts, his talents, they are the ones who are doomed by their apathy and fear. They are, in fact, already dead to some extent. Jesus calls all of us to the life of discipleship, which is full of abundant life. But an abundant life involves risk. It involves being all in. Living a life of risking it all doesn't mean you have to have a lot of material things. We all know people who are wealthy and who are rigid and tight. And perhaps you know people who spend their last dollar on a lottery ticket, hoping to hit it big. It's all about the attitude of the heart. A friend in seminary named Babu was from Kenya, or is from Kenya. He had left his family in Kenya to come to the United States to get a PhD in order to return and to be a leader in the church there. He had very little money and he lived in on-campus housing. I would imagine he was probably there on full scholarship, but very little disposable income. When my friend Molly and I went over to greet him one day, he had put out a full spread of food and goodies and tea. We were shocked and a little bit embarrassed. I said, Babu, you don't need to do this. You can't afford this to which he immediately said, I share in a little and I share in a lot. For many of us living in these days, our spiritual lives, our personal faith has not seemed like a high-risk venture. Perhaps we safely come to church, sit and hear what the ancient texts say, and then go home and go about our business. For some, that's where it ends. For others, their faith lives come into play throughout their week as a thought here and there. And still others, they use their gifts and talents in every aspect of their lives. They discern God's movement. They know the source of their strength and are watchful to ask for guidance. And their efforts are multiplied. And they're amazed. They look like anyone else sitting here. No halos but they're all in. We've lost perspective at times over what people in other areas in the world go through just to worship in freedom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that sin of respectable people is running from responsibility. Bonhoeffer, who was a pacifist, took his own responsibility so seriously that he joined the resistance and helped plan an assassination attempt on Hitler's life. His commitment to being all-in eventually cost him his life. Is it worth it? Why do any of this? Why risk everything when it's so easy to live in the safety and security of our own homes, doing what we've always done? There's nothing wrong with that, if that's the path lived with abandon utilizing your gifts. But we know that no one is guaranteed anything. Our lives can change in a moment. Through a diagnosis, a tragedy such as a fire or accident, through a bad investment or a scam. Everything we thought we had can be gone in a second. One thing is constant, regardless of the circumstances, the love, care, and presence of God. Your investment in your spiritual life will never come up empty. Your return is guaranteed. So if you found yourself living on the sidelines, step out boldly and live, risking your heart. Go for the gold and do what you love. Live for God. Figure out what gifts and talents in this life to steward and use them to the glory of God. And watch them multiply. Hmm, I guess my mother was right. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen.